the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast. My name is Ann Garten, and I am your host today. And I'm really excited to uh, bring together two fantastic folks. We actually, um, some of us have actually worked together for a number of years in our past lives. Uh, Julie Sanders and Jill Venden from Compassus hospice and palliative care. And that is what our topic is going to be about and and pull through uh, what is hospice and palliative care and, and the importance of it. So welcome, Julie and Jill. And I wonder if we take a moment and you just share with our listeners a little bit about yourselves. Jill, I'm going to have you start. Okay, great. Thank you, Anne. Um, so happy to be here. Uh, I am Jill Venden. I'm the volunteer coordinator for Compassus and Palliative Care. And what I do is um, work with a uh, staff of volunteers that I recruit that go out and uh, visit with our individuals or help in our office to um, make sure that we're, we are getting the best care that we can for our individuals. I've been with Compassus five years today. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And Julie. Well, good morning, Anne. And yes, the mystery solved. I recognized your face when I walked in. I'm a native of the Quad Cities, uh, worked for Genesis Health Systems for several years as a respiratory therapist, and then uh, has one thing has nothing to do with the other, but was a CRA uh, mortgage officer for U.S. Bank. Uh, healthcare called me home. I have four adult children. Uh, what else I'm proud of is the seven grandchildren that I now have. And then at my role at Compassus, I'm able to combine uh, both my business sense along with my healthcare background, and I'm a true consultant. So I'm the bridge between Compassus and the community in regard to being a resource for hospice care and answering questions and helping individuals. Um, and it's the whole gamut, Anne. It's from physicians, uh, hospital systems, families, and individuals facing life-limited illness. Excellent. Welcome to both of you. I think I want to start because we all here at the table know there's a lot of misconceptions and misunderstandings of what hospice and palliative care is and the um, different misconceptions and, and things of that nature. So why don't we start with uh, that? And, and I, I'll even start is hospice and palliative care because of those misconceptions, I believe, is one of the most underutilized services that are available to a wide range of folks, right, um, as well as underutilized around Medicare in the U.S. So I wonder if, Julie, you want to start with a little bit of the differences and maybe we just start with hospice. What is hospice? Of course. And you are correct, it's underutilized and it's misunderstood. So often when somebody hears hospice, the connotation is it's the end of their life. It's that quiet time, it's that time right before a transition, and people aren't ready for that conversation. And unfortunately, that can be true. We call that late hospice, when somebody comes on um, at the last few days of their life. Um, what I'm here to talk about is what hospice is and what it isn't. Hospice is a Medicare uh, product, so to speak, and part of your benefit. You know, we're at work today. We all work. We pay into Medicare. And for that, we get a choice about our health care and our story. Hospice is just one of those things. Hospice means that if you are facing a terminal illness, uh, life-limiting, something that's chronic that you no longer can see, treatment for. And without getting into the clinical ins and outs of it, that can be a broad spectrum of things. The first thing that comes to mind is an individual with dementia that due to their disease is no longer able to do certain things for their self. When you look at that patient, you would not 
especially think that they're actively passing or that they need hospice because they're still um, eating, they're still walking and talking. But through the Medicare guidelines, they may be eligible for this extra specialized support care and what that looks like. Hospice is um, supporting individuals at the time of their life when, you know, as a clinician yourself, and you know this, any nurse with their salt can look at a patient and know what medications to give, when to give them. But we look at that patient as a whole person. So person-centered conversations, this is perfect. We concentrate on patient-centered care, and hospice brings support care to your bedside and wherever home's at. So home can be in the community, home can be at a nursing facility, home can be at your daughter's house because your family wants to step in and help. And then we bring a whole team of individuals, um, Jill's volunteers included, to that bedside to support you in that. Yeah, so it's care for the individual, where they're at and who they are, right? And and pulling in what they want their life to look like at this stage. And I think I'm going to pull in a little bit of the clinical side here is that people think that we stop all treatments in hospice, and that's not necessarily the case. We symptom manage, and we, we make a uh, quality of life talk versus, which we always do, but that changes at some point in our stage of life, right? And so what is it that I want to get out of this stage of my life and how can we manage that? Well, and we are expert at all symptom management and pain management. Pain in definition is different for all individuals. So what I could consider, you know, we always use that old-fashioned pain scale, that one to 10. Is this an eight? Is this a seven? Those are very subjective, especially when an individual is facing crisis. So our teams go in, they determine that, but again, they're looking at the whole person. That's just part of our care for who I am model. Um, Compassus, we're in 29 states. So that national footprint allows me to have a lot of information to share with our community, with our patients and our families. Uh, symptom management, uh, the right meds at the right time. All these phrases, they mean something, Anne. Indeed. And I think the other piece that's really important about this care is the care of the family and who the individual defines as their family. Because even uh, on an early stage of hospice, we go through a bereavement process, a grief process, and we need support through that, right? And I think when hospice is done well, then that can definitely come in and, and support the individual and the family in a way that they feel the journey is is what they wanted, what they decided to be, right? Well, and we're trained, my teams are trained, especially for end-of-life care. The biggest component of Compassus and um, our hospice out in the field is that we train you. We train the family to care for their individuals. And it could be hands-on care, but as you said, emotionally, um, we have supports within our whole um, group. We have chaplains, social worker, home health aides. Um, is it intrusive to come into your home initially? It could feel that. But you are so right, Anne, about grieving. The individual and their family is grieving for who they used to be. Indeed. And I'm going to pull in Jill here for a moment because you just did a great job of who's the team, right? Of course. And, and Jill has a part of that, and, and the people would not recognize a volunteer as part of the team. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Our volunteers um, do play an integ integral 
um, goal in, in all of that. They come in, they do an orientation. Um, they might go visit with the, the client once a week. They might go and visit every other week. They might be making phone calls just to uh, touch base, even with the bereaved. Um, if we're talking about pre-bereavement, we can um, have a volunteer have a nice conversation, maybe somebody that's been in that same situation in their own life, and then they might follow up. Um, our bereavement coordinators follow up for 13 months after the passing of a loved one. So we might also have a volunteer that's um, visiting um, one of the bereaved. I, I can think of one right now in Cedar Rapids, and I have a volunteer visiting the widow once um, a month and just going up and visiting. Um, honestly, our caregivers need that as well that the caregivers are sometimes just so overwhelmed with the the tediousness of, of seeing their loved one every day um, in that same situation so having a volunteer pop in and just visit um, we have one here in, in Bettendorf and a volunteer that she goes in and she just sits with with the caregiver her and and visits and and kind of keeps her mind off of things and I think um, a couple of things that I want to pull through is your volunteers go through an extensive training. I was amazed when I heard 14 hours worth of training. Um, and so that's fantastic. They're given the tool sets. And I think also it, it supports the individual, the family, and, and gives them the necessary uh, support. Because sometimes this can feel like a lonely journey. And that's what we don't want, right? And so I, I wonder if you could share a little bit of what that training looks like. Um, sure. Our orientation is uh, consists of, of course, uh, uh, nine modules. But what, what is the philosophy of hospice? Because that has to be the, the, the foundation of where we start, um, knowing that, gosh, not every time we're going to call 911 if we notice that um, our, our families and our, um, and our clients have picked whether they want a DNR or not. Um, we go over the primary diagnosis that we may see. Um, dementia and Alzheimer's is, is, takes up a lot of that orientation. In fact, I just did a, a fun training with uh, Dementia Friendly Iowa this week, or last week, I guess that was. And then, um, and then of course, introducing them to who our team is so that they know who would they'd reach out to, maybe the social worker, maybe the chaplain, maybe they picked up on something while they were in, in a visit. So... We do a lot of uh, fun fun stuff, I think, um, and it's great for students. It's great for recently retired people that are out there looking for, ooh, I need to, I always wanted to give back. How can I do that in my own community? Come Indeed. join me. <laughs> Indeed. I think it's it's great for anybody who really feels that passion to support folks through, through their journey, right? And... Um, uh, and to be in a, a space with them and being very mindful of, of their journey. And so it can be a very beautiful thing, as you said. I'm going to transfer us a little bit more towards that palliative care because we now have a better understanding of what hospice is. So what's palliative care, Julie? Uh, palliative care takes on different forms. And it can, be, it can be called several things. And a lot of times it can be interchanged with hospice care and that causes the confusion. Palliative care is a support system put in place by a clinician. Uh, in this picture, it would be a nurse practitioner that calls on you, oh, about once a month or any change of condition. And what this is, is it's a specialized person looking at you 
your chart, your medications, in helping direct you and guide you and answer questions? Because don't we make better decisions, Anne, after we've been educated? Um, in palliative care, and, and we know this to be true in both hospice and palliative care, when an individual has a chronic illness, it becomes a full-time job for them, their families, the doctor's appointments are numerous, specialist appointments, and they're always waiting for that new test result. And they're trying to make an educated determination on what's their next step from that. Not everybody's well-versed. Not everybody has the years of experience that you have, Anne, you know, where we can look at something and go, oh, this makes sense. But then that's where the picture comes in. Does it make sense for you? Does it make sense for that patient? So a nurse practitioner overlooks your care and what would it look like when a physician takes care of hundreds of patients and you go in for your appointment and you have that conversation, what would it look like to bring that information back to a nurse practitioner who is just centered about your choices? Um, so palliative, you can still seek treatment, and that is the, the nuts and bolts difference, is it's in, it's in concurrent care along with treatment. So you're seeking treatment for cancer. An example would be, I'm still in chemotherapy, I'm still getting radiation, but now a nurse practitioner is coming in once a month, they're giving me an overview, we're sharing new test results, and when the time comes, Yes, some people do convert to hospice care. And isn't it true that it's so much easier to help somebody you know instead of somebody you just met yesterday? And we're helping with um, palliative in place. Um, healthcare is going home, Anne, and we're trying to capture that patient wherever they're at, wherever they're at in the decision. So palliative care is just another, another branch, if you will, of support for an individual to help with healthcare decisions. Indeed. I think um, people don't recognize that you can have palliative care at any stage of your life um, and for many different chronic illnesses, congestive heart failure, Parkinson's, cancer is the one that we typically hear about, yes. right? Um, COPD, congestive um, obstructive pulmonary disease. Uh, so many, many different things as well. as Sometimes we have young folks on palliative care as well to manage pain management. And, and it is that extra set of eyes to... Um, support the entire team because some people also think that if I go into palliative care or hospice care I can no longer use uh, my primary provider and I have a relationship with them that is not the case it's not the case at all and so often when somebody says hospice or palliative care they equate that with giving up hope yes and it is the opposite hospice and palliative care both are saying that you are taking charge of your health care story so it empowers an individual and it's a very hard um, Hell, without you know, searching for a word here, it's a hard transition in your mind to make that switch. I think we can pull in President Jimmy Carter in that switch. Oh, I have been waiting. <laughs> I have been waiting. Right? I, I think I'm going to let you yes. go for it because I think he did just that. He took control and and exactly. pulled in the team. And go ahead. Of all individuals, President Jimmy Carter did not give up hope when he signed up for hospice February 18th of this year. Um, he continues to be on hospice care, that supportive care at home. And his grandson actually was quoted on a news channel saying that it was a matter of when grandfather was going to go to heaven. And now it's a matter of what's grandpa going to do in July? Because he is surrounded by family. He is picking out what he wants to do. He is supported by, you know, that overused word quality. What is quality for you, Anne, and myself and Jill? We all have a different definition. In this case, Jimmy Carter is having peanut flavored ice cream, which he was well known for. And isn't it funny that we talk about him not with his years as the president, but all of his humanitarian um, efforts. Um, this man has battled brain cancer. He has uh, made choices. And now his main choice was, I want dignity. 
the time that I have on earth, I want to be supported. And he has a hospice team at his bedside supporting that, that, that change, that transition. I think it's a beautiful example. And then let's pull in that hospice is available to anyone. Because some people will say, well, of course, Jimmy Carter gets it. Oh, He's a he, president, of right? Of course he does. Right? So, but that it is available because it is part of our Medicaid, our Medicare system. Correct. So I want you to pull in that a little bit. Uh, and we have serviced here just in the Quad City and outlying areas, individuals in homeless shelters. We have uh, given service to individuals that have to call a hotel their home just because of their situation. Um, they're living with friends. Um, they're in um, difficult situations. And that were, that's where Jill, our volunteers, and, um, you know, I'd like to think everyone at Compassus has a hospice heart. And we all chip in and do what we can. But hospice is a benefit for those that only have Medicaid. Um, we actually are a community hospice, and we take indigent patients as well. Hospice is there for everyone in the United States, and we're there for education. So if you don't feel you're ready for a hospice and you want more information about hospice or palliative care, um, I am very honored to be part of that team that gets to have those conversations. But yes, indeed, um, we're available to anyone. And also, um, you know, people's heart goes out to individuals and children, but we do have children that are in hospice care, and they do get palliative care, palliative treatment. They continue certain medications and such and still have that support in place, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yes, it's a broad spectrum. Uh, we don't withhold care from anyone re related to payer source. Um, and I think that's very important. So, of course, Jimmy Carter gets awesome care, I'm certain. Yeah. But so does Mrs. Smith, who um, has some financial worries and uh, is worried about where meals are coming from. And her caregiver isn't able to be with her 24 hours a day. I think another piece of the puzzle that I'd like to touch on is for clinicians in that conversation, because we sometimes introduce it once and the hand goes up because of the misconceptions and the misunderstandings, right? And and we educate, but we need to understand that it is that continual piece of education and support and that sometimes it's best to bring in the team because you all have those tool sets to sometimes better explain what you are and who you are, of right? Of course. And, and, um, and to allow people to obviously make the decision when they're ready, if they're ready, but to give them the tool sets to be able to do that. Because I, sometimes I think as clinicians, when we're in the hospital setting, for example, we're in a hurry. And we're, well, do you want hospice or palliative care? And that's the end of it, right? And and instead, bringing in that team to support the folks to better understand what that means, what does that journey look like differently if you do use this support, um, I think that's really important. Well, and Anne, you're exactly right. When you're faced with a hard decision, when you have found out that along with your chronic illness, you now have another, we call it in the clinician world, another comorbidity, one more thing on your pile of things and symptoms to manage, you're in a very emotional, vulnerable place, and you need to know that you have a choice of provider, you have a choice of care, and that education piece is key because when you are faced with that illness, you're going to change. Um, you are not, it's not going to be a constant that this is the crisis or the symptom that you're experiencing. That can change throughout. So having an expert come in, talk about symptom management, talk about workarounds, talk about what makes sense. And with our experience and with the broad knowledge that my team has, they know what to do when people, you know, the simple things, the basic things of life to help um, work of breathing, to help 
pain management. It's as simple as turning someone in bed and making sure that they have preloaded their pain medication before they make that change. It's the simple things that make sense that make your day better. Yes, indeed. I think the other piece is for folks to understand you can be discharged from hospice. You can graduate and have a party. Yes, indeed, right? There's that misconception that you have six months and and, and six months is it, right? And, And I think that's really important to understand that, no, we still care for you and we hope if that is your hope to to graduate you from hospice well and and thank you for bringing that point forward at Compassus, you would think that our, our core business model would be patient care. Our first one actually is regulatory pillar. And that's because we are stewards of the Medicare dollar. It is important to preserve that for future generations. And you're exactly right. If you no longer meet criteria for hospice guidelines, then you are discharged for extended prognosis. And we follow your care. And we talk to you about in the instance that you may need us again in the future. But you do graduate from hospice. Indeed. I think the other piece, uh, one of the other misconceptions is hospice isn't available in my area, especially for our rural rural folks, right? And I think that's really important to understand that, indeed, there's lots. Compassus is not the only one. You, yes, Correct. you have national, uh, you know, um, uh, organization, but there's so many really good hospice and palliative care services in communities across the state and across the nation. And it, it certainly is. There are several nonprofits um, that are housed, um, you know, they started out um, sometimes just in the um, spiritual side of the hospital systems. Of course, the hospital systems all have hospices in place. We partner with those because we also know that there are times that the coverage areas do change. Uh, my nurses drive upwards in some cases, hour, hour and a half. Um, it doesn't make any difference. We do have full coverage um, where we're licensed to cover in counties, as do several others. The basic and most important information for this podcast is to know that you have a choice it is out there, and uh, seeking information and education changes the landscape of our future. If you have a good hospice experience, you are more likely, as an adult moving through your life, to tell that story. Grandma was on hospice, they treated her with dignity, and then you're more apt to choose that choice if you need to, or, or tell a friend at work, oh, we're facing this. Um, you know, we always talk about healthcare and finances. Those are very personal. And isn't it nice to know that there's education out there and options? And a bad hospice experience is equally as impactful. I talk to families all the time that say this is what happened. Now, did the hospice company or provider do something wrong? In most cases, no, because this is an emotional time of your life and this is your mother. So anything um, that isn't exactly as you want it becomes very personal. So my role is to change that. Indeed. I think for our listeners, uh, a great resource is the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. And you can actually even put in your zip code there to find out what services are available in your area. And so we'll put that link with the um, podcast when we when we send that out, as well as you guys will share um, some other links that I understand that will give us some of those resources for folks. But also know to be true, you can ask your providers and, and have start that that conversation long before you need hospice and palliative care. You know, I may end up with CHF tomorrow. And if I do, I can have that conversation of this is what my hope is. And when we're here at this stage, then we can um, maybe have that conversation around palliative care. I want to end real quick with Jill here. 
And I want you to also share how uh, folks may, uh, I know we'll put it as well, post it, but how folks who may be interested in volunteering get a hold of you all and, and be a part of that program. We can certainly call um, our, one of our local offices. We do have offices um, in Davenport, one in Washington, Iowa, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and Cedar Falls, Iowa. So you can definitely call that um, number. My number is uh, kind of a strange one. Um, says I'm from Arizona, but I'm indeed from Davenport, Iowa. Is 928-899-8546. I can start you on that journey, or you can go to our website, which is um, compasses.com backslash volunteers with an S. And something I think I, I, I forgot to mention is that volunteering is required. Um, 5% of, of all of our clinical hours are um, have to be volunteer hours so um, as as part of that participation in Medicare so um, I have a goal obviously every month to hit that five percent um, you know personally for me but then of course to make sure that um, the patients and the people that we care for are getting everything that they need and have that extra support so excellent thank you mm -hmm. anything else in closing that you want to share um, I did have a personal story for a patient story, Anne, and I would be remiss if I couldn't share that. So Please do. Uh, we um, have a very gracious family that's allowed me to speak about this situation, and we recently had an individual on care that is a former Iowa State Trooper. The reason I know that is as I pass by the room, he has the picture proudly displayed uh, with his trooper hat, his badge, and such. Uh, how it so happens is in that conversation, he has advanced disease. And, you know, he wasn't always this gentleman that we see now. He served his community for more than 27 years. Uh, Compasses has a program called Dream Team, and that's where we recognize individuals for who they are, not their disease. And in this instance, we were able to contact a local Scott County uh, Iowa State Trooper who came to the facility where this resident lives. It was a surprise visit. My team got there to get the resident ready for this surprise visit. Um, nothing is more funny than having a straight trooper walk into a facility and everybody was taken aback. What are they doing here? Um, he came in, he greeted this individual, and with having memory challenges, it was amazing. We left them alone to talk about the good old days. Um, individuals that they still knew together and just about their service to the community and it was very, very heartwarming. Um, before the trooper left, we took pictures because, you know, it's just heartwarming. And we can actually share that link in the podcast so you can share those pictures. Um, unbeknownst to me, the, the Iowa State trooper, Trooper Stiegel, pulled his coin out when he graduated from trooper school. It's a recognition coin. And he gave it and presented it to Trooper Lovig. And it was very moving. And on the front side of the coin is a flag. And on the back side of the coin is symbol. And he asked, Dear Beloving, which side do you want presented? He said, I want the flag, which is the, um, the blue striped um, connotation of the United States flag. And it is still sitting at the facility, propped up against that picture. So now people walk by that room, and they talk to Trooper Loving, and they thank him for his service. That's excellent. I love that story, because again, it's recognizing the person. Thank you for sharing. Of course. Thank you both for joining me. You have a great day. Audio production for the Institute for Person-Centered Care podcast is provided by KALA-FM Studios in Davenport, Iowa. The show is engineered by Dave Baker. 
It is produced by Ann Garten, director of the Institute for Person-Centered Care and Nursing Faculty at St. Ambrose University. 